0: Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at PainesvilleAG.com. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This past week, and uh, we just dedicated some time to just uh, serving the Lord through prayer, seeking the Lord. In prayer, and uh, how many believe prayer is important? Amen. I, so I want to thank all of you that made time. Uh, I know not everybody could, but for those of you that were able to make time in your schedule to come out uh, last Sunday evening to our worship night that kicked it off was a powerful time. We had about sixty uh, people that came out and just really worshiped the Lord and sought the Lord in prayer and then throughout the week, uh, we had people that came at noon, from noon to one through that hour, came and went, and also in the evenings from seven to eight, and so we really spent some time uh, just seeking the Lord in prayer, praying uh, for the vision, praying for needs, and uh, and just seeking the Lord. And uh, during that time, both at the uh, worship night and then also Uh, Throughout the week, we have the prayer banners that are up here in conjunction with uh, the Ohio Ministry Network, which is uh, the network of churches that we're a part of within the Assemblies of God here in Ohio, and uh, just some things that the churches are coming together, praying for and believing for for the entire state, and uh, back in 2016... Uh, at a retreat uh, in January called Minister's Retreat, uh, there was a time given, a, a message that was spoken on on just listening uh, to the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the prophetic, and a time of worship, and then a, a pause to begin to pray. and we were encouraged as ministers and as leaders to listen to the Lord, and if the Lord were to speak a message, uh, a message of prophecy, a message of word, uh, to to speak that forth during that service, and again, a Pentecostal church, we believe in the gifts and the moving of the Holy Spirit, and uh, one by one in a very orderly fashion, it was amazing what the Lord uh, was doing in, in that time. One by one, people began to speak out, it wasn't long things that they said, they were just short snippets of what the Lord had given them. And one by one, different people throughout uh, that time, throughout that room and that worship service, began to give a prophetic word uh, that uh, to uh, Ohio, to the churches in Ohio. And, uh, and as we were praying, there were people that were reading The prophetic word and so some came and said hey we'd like a copy of that so I want to let you know we've made copies uh, of that they're up here on the communion table and so afterwards if you would like to have a copy of that some people are just taking pictures of their phone of this one's right here uh, I, I believe many have found that to be encouraging uh, to them and inspiring and, uh, and something just to continue to believe the Lord for. Again, the word of the Lord is the most important, right? We don't, we don't base our lives on, on prophetic words and prophecy. Prophetic words and prophecy ought to confirm what's in God's word. However, we do know that the Lord speaks and that he speaks through a prophetic word and that that can be set to help guide us in the things of his word. And so if you would like a copy of that, we do have those available uh, to that. And that's where uh, this vision that we have, Ohio for Jesus, has come from. And, uh, and not only on a, a scale of Ohio Assemblies of God churches coming together and praying together in unity, but also what is the Lord speaking to us, our leadership about? Within this local church, and so as we kick off 2020, last week we laid some foundation and talked about asking the Lord to give us a burden—a burden for our local community, a burden for people that are lost, for the needs that are there—and we begin to pray into that this week. But I wanted to give a little bit more background. You see, uh, this this uh, Ohio for Jesus, all things are possible, really began when God began to open up a door for our leaders in in Ohio to travel to the nation of Tanzania. Many of you contributed and helped to send me uh, as a part of that delegation, and 44 pastors and leaders from across the state of Ohio went in 2018, February of 2018, to the nation of Tanzania and to see how the Lord was moving in that church and how the church in Tanzania was growing Exponentially, uh, that was part of the reason for us going was to observe what was happening because there were amazing things that were happening. There was a uh, uh, there was some a great move of God that was taking place in Tanzania and churches, and it's still continuing even to this day. And so we felt like the Lord was leading us as leaders and pastors in Ohio to go and to observe, to go and to take part in their meetings that they had, to meet with their pastors, to meet with their leaders, and to talk about what the Lord was doing and what led up to the place where they were at. You see, what had happened was the leadership in the church of Tanzania prayed And fasted and said, Lord, we are tired of being stagnant. The church in Tanzania had barely grown. It had remained pretty stagnant. There wasn't new churches that were being planted. There wasn't new members. The church really wasn't growing. It had just kind of been staying the same. And the leaders got a vision and said, this isn't how it ought to be. We believe that God wants to do something in our nation. We believe that that there ought to be more that is happening, that that we ought to be a greater influence to begin to change the culture of our nation. And so that leadership began to get together, and they prayed, and they fasted, and the Lord began to give them a strategic vision, a strategic plan, a 10-year initiative, a 10-year plan that began in 2009 and went through 2019. We had a chance to be there in 2018, and so uh, we had a chance to see a little bit when they weren't quite fully there. They were in the, the eighth year of their, their th- this 10-year plan, and as we got there, this is what had happened. They were already close to meeting their goals, and in some ways had already gone above and beyond the goal that they had set, and so the Tanzania Assembly of God established approximately 6,000 New churches, 32 church planting schools, seven Bible colleges, and they continue to see more people discipled and discipling others. And so when I returned home and our leadership of the Assemblies of God in Ohio returned home, we began to pray about what the Lord wanted to do here in Ohio. As we came together as pastors and leaders, we began to pray, we began to seek the Lord for what he had planned, and God began to unfold what is a God-sized strategic plan, a God-sized vision. In other words, this will not be accomplished unless the power of the Holy Spirit does something. It will also not be accomplished unless each assemblies of God, leader, pastor, church, each church and the members of each church, those who attend each church, get a hold of the vision. And together in unity, we begin we began to say, you know what? We want to reach Ohio for Jesus. It takes unity. That was one of the things when we were in Tanzania that we saw. There was prayer and there was fasting, but there was also unity where everybody was coming together around the same things. Rather than everybody just doing their own little thing here, their own little thing there, everybody was coming together to say, Lord, how can we accomplish this vision in our community, in our village, in our area? It was powerful that way, and I believe that's going to be the case here as well, and so we began to, to pray, and, and, uh, and again, uh, the Lord began to put uh, different things into our heart, and so we, we took a look at our state motto, with God, all things are possible. How many know our state is one of the only mottos that actually comes from the Bible? <laughs> comes out of the Bible, and so Ohio for Jesus, all things are possible because there is nothing that is impossible with God. How many believe that? There's nothing that's impossible with God and uh, and so uh, what what came out of this was four components of the vision that the Lord had had given for the church in the next 10 years four components one of them being disciple making now at our at our ohio level it's called church health but here at the local level it's disciple making second is leader development missions partnership and church multiplication each of these is key to the heart and the mission of God, and by placing a priority and an emphasis, we believe back on these key areas, we believe that we'll see transformation in our church, in our community, in our state, and around the world, to the nations. So I want to share the first part of that vision this morning. I want to share with you the first part of what God is putting on our hearts this morning, and that is the very key important component that is disciple-making. Disciple-making. What What does it mean to be a disciple maker? As I look at the landscape of the church, as I look at the landscape of Christianity, I fear that we've drifted away from the original mission that God has for the church, that Jesus had given his church. Culturally speaking, I think that the idea of what it means to be a Christian uh, and what it means to be the church has taken on all kinds of different forms, but has kind of drifted away from what Jesus meant by being a follower and a disciple of him. You see, for some, being a Christian is tied to religion or it's tied to a family identity. If I believe in God, and maybe I believe in God, but I, I, I don't identify as a, a Muslim, I don't identify as a Buddhist, a Hindu, or something else. If I decide that I'm not an atheist, but I believe in God, but I don't, I don't necessarily identify myself with any of those, then maybe I identify myself with Jesus or some denomination. And so therefore, I'm a Christian Christian. Maybe, I'm, maybe I, I, I have a particular denomination that I'm a part of. Maybe I say, well, I'm, I'm Catholic, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Methodist, or Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Assembly of God, or maybe I'm non-denominational, whatever that means. I know, that wasn't that funny. I thought it was. With this, being a Christian then is about the church that I attend or the church my family attended or what my family believed growing up or that kind of a thing. And so therefore, if I ask you, are you a Christian? Many people will say today, yes, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? What, 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 does that, what, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? I think oftentimes we think of, of it as a place where I go to a building. I think of the church as a building. I go to that building. I go to that place. And, and I'm, I'm pretty regular where I go and they have a worship service and the pastor preaches. We sing a few songs. The pastor preaches. I go home. I'm a Christian. Uh, and that, that basically is where It ends. Maybe there's classes and activities, things for the kids, things for the youth, uh, classes for the adults, things that the pastor preaches or the church organizes, some events where I can serve, and I I check those boxes, and and I'm a Christian. And what I'm saying, none of this is wrong. It's not wrong. It's just incomplete. Because being a Christian, being somebody who is a Christian is a lot more than just attending church on a regular basis or attending an activity or serving from here to there or giving a little money in the offering or something like that or being a part or affiliated with a particular denomination where Jesus is central or where they talk about the Bible. Being a Christian is so much more than that. But I feel like it's gotten lost. I feel like what it means has gotten lost, and I'm not trying to come down, I'm not trying to be negative, but I just feel like the mission and what Jesus Christ has left us with as his disciples is a lot more than that. And again, I'm not saying these elements are wrong, but I just think that the church in the New Testament looks very different than the church of today. Before the term Christian was ever used, those who identified themselves as followers of Jesus were called disciples. So what does it mean to be a disciple? If we're going to talk about the goal of disciple making, I think we have to start with the foundation of what does it mean to be a disciple? The standard definition is the term disciple used as a noun is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. They're a follower or a learner, refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. You see, in many ways, it's kind of an apprentice, somebody who learns and becomes like the master or like the teacher. And applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns to live like Jesus did. Someone who because of God's awakening grace conforms to his or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. So my the way that I live is a pattern to the way that Jesus lived. The way that Jesus lives is the way that I'm going to pattern my life after. Well, the way that Jesus thinks is the way that I'm going to pattern my thinking after. The words that Jesus uses and speaks are the ways that I'm going to conform my words to. The actions that Jesus takes are the, going to be the actions of my life that I take a look at Jesus and I pattern my life after him and I begin to learn to say, Lord, what does following you look like? Jesus, what would you, you know, there's this phrase back in the day with little bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? But it's, it's about learning the ways and becoming like Jesus. The first time we see this happening is in Luke chapter 5. We we looked at this same passage of scripture. It's amazing how God will put a passage of scripture before me uh, just on a continual basis and I can't get away from it. For the last couple of weeks I haven't been able to get away from this one passage. And We talked about in the Travel Light series and we talked about letting go of control. It's a time when Andrew, Peter, James and John, they had been fishing. They were fishermen by trade. This was before they really had met Jesus. They were out and they had been fishing all night and they had caught. Nothing. Anybody remember the story? If you've been you're here a couple weeks ago, you know I talked about this. They had caught absolutely nothing. And they, they came in, in the early morning and the daytime and they began to wash their nets and clean their nets, which said, you know what, we're done for the day. We haven't caught anything. We give up. And about that time, Jesus comes and there's a crowd that's following him, and he begins to teach. He begins to share, he begins to teach, and the crowd is pushing, and so he's up against the shore, so he sees one of the boats, and he says, hey, I'm going to get in that boat, and I'm going to push away from shore a little bit, and I'm going to begin to teach. And so Jesus is in the boat, pushed away from shore, and he's teaching during the day, and then all of a sudden, he finishes uh, teaching. And he says to Peter, he says, uh, "Hey, uh, why don't you push out a little bit from shore? I want you to go out in deep water, and I want you to throw your nets over again." All right. And Peter, being the fisherman, you can tell he's kind of like, "Oh my goodness, we have fished all night. We 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 have cleaned our nets." This is not the time of the day that you catch fish and you don't do it in the deep water, you do it in the shallow water. We're we're the fishermen. You're you're the spiritual teacher. You stick to the spiritual stuff. We'll We'll do the fishing stuff. Anybody ever told Jesus that before? I'll do what I do, you do what you do, all right? I'm gonna do my thing. And and but but this is what he says. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. But then he says this, because you say so. I will let down the nets. Now, we talked about this in that, in that message in terms of it's time to let go sometimes and let Jesus. Because even though you think you know, you don't know. And if Jesus tells you to do something, you better do it. Sometimes we got to let go of that control, right? Peter was willing to follow the request even though he didn't necessarily agree or believe there would be a catch. But he let go. And his willingness to surrender Jesus caused the, the net to be so full of fish, they were empty on their own, but then their nets were so full of fish that they began to break, and they had the other boat that came out to help, and they began to bring it in, so much so that they filled both boats with fish that they began to sink. And here's Peter's response. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' needs, and he said, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. It brought him to a place where he said, I'm a sinner, <laughs> Whoa, I have to take a look at myself. The astonishment of what took place and the miracle that took place caused Peter to recognize his own sinfulness. And he falls down before the Lord and says, go away from me. Go away from me. I'm a sinner. But here's Jesus' response. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him friends, it says they. Simon Peter was not alone. His brother Andrew and his co-workers, James and John, were also astonished by what happened. And when Jesus in humility invites them to follow him, they decide, you know what? We are going to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them? Right from the beginning, the invitation to discipleship was an invitation to purpose. And the invitation to purpose was, no longer are you going to fish for fish. No longer are you going to do that. You're going to fish for men. That is the call of the disciple. The call of the disciple is not just simply to follow Jesus wherever he goes, but it's to follow Jesus so that you can begin to complete the purpose for which he has saved you, to which he has called you, to which he has given you his grace. A disciple is not just one who learns, uh, it's one who fishes for men. A disciple carries on the work of his master And his teacher and does what his teacher does. And again, going back to when I take a look at the landscape of Christianity today and I begin to survey, I find that there are many who, like Peter, have been astonished at the work of what Jesus Christ have done and have come to the place where they recognize their own sinfulness. I am a sinner. We confess that sin. But when Jesus invites us to follow him and invites us to fish for men, we stop right there. I like to be forgiven. I like to have my, my sins forgiven, but I don't know if I want to fully obey. I don't know if I want to do the purpose for which you have called me. And stop short. For others, we start following Jesus, we recognize that. We start following Jesus. We, we start that transformation process. So we, we spend a lifetime of learning, regularly sitting in worship services and Bible studies and Sunday school classes and, and life groups and more and more. And we, we gain a whole lot of knowledge about Jesus. And, and this is what Jesus is. And, and we spend some time reading his word. And this is what, this is what it's all about. And, and, and we spend all this time learning, but we never actually start doing We've relegated to being a disciple to somebody who sits in Bible studies, and Bible studies are not bad, but who sits in Bible studies and gains a lot of knowledge, but never fulfills what he calls a disciple to do, and that is, I will make you fishers of men. We never pass on what we learn and begin to disciple someone else. And yet, that's what Jesus commanded us to do. You say, where did he command us to do that? Well, it's something that we preach on, that we've heard. If you've been in church for any length of time, you know this. You could probably quote it. It's something that's called the Great Commission here we go, you're about ready to turn me off, the Great Commission, oh boy, here we go, he's gonna preach on the Great Commission, and all about this evangelism stuff, I gotta witness, I gotta tell people about Jesus, and I go back to that time when I'm like really, really scared because somebody gathered me up and they didn't give me a whole lot and they told me we're gonna go start knocking on doors and we're gonna knock on people's doors and we're just gonna start right in and talk to total strangers about Jesus and we're gonna witness and then they're gonna get mad at us and they're gonna slam the door and they're gonna think they're, that we're one of those other people that goes around and knocks on doors, and they're going to turn me off, and I just have never had a good time with that. I can't go on the street and just start talking to somebody about Jesus. I can't just, you know, do, I mean, I just, that just scares me, and so I just say, I'm not going to ever do that, right? And again, there's nothing wrong with that. If God has given you that gift, and you can just walk up and talk with people and evangelize, man, that is a gift that God has given you. But I got to be honest with you, the majority of people like shaking their boots. Oh, my goodness, is that what it's all about? I, I, it's so much more than that. Making disciples isn't about going or knocking on doors or going on the street or something like that. It's about building relationship with people. Praying and saying, Lord, who would you have me to take what you have given me so that I can pass it on to someone else? So that I can introduce somebody else to Jesus. You see, Peter was introduced to Jesus because his brother... Andrew had heard Jesus preach and, and had come up. Andrew and John had come up and they said to Jesus, are, are you the one we should be looking for? They have been following John the Baptist. Are you the one that we should be looking for? Or should we look at somebody else? Jesus doesn't give them an answer. He just says, hey, come spend the day with me. So they begin to spend the day with Jesus. And then Andrew goes back to Peter and he says, we've met the Messiah. Come and meet him too. Began with an invitation that said, I met someone today who changed my life. I met someone today that had a great impact on my life. I want you to come see and meet him too. That is the beginning. That's the beginning. But discipleship is about passing it along. When we were in Tanzania, we had the opportunity to preach at these pastor's conferences we had the opportunity to preach, and I tell you, it was humbling because they're doing this whole work, you know, all this stuff is happening. I'm thinking, what do I have to offer you? But they gave us this opportunity and this platform to preach. And so as we're preaching, I'm, I'm looking out, and I'm not seeing eyes. I'm seeing the tops of heads. I'm thinking, what are these people doing? Well, they're feverishly writing down. Everything that I'm sharing, they're writing it down, they're writing it down, they're writing it down. So I began to ask a few of them, you know, you're writing this down, what are you doing? And our interpreter said they're, they're writing that down because they're going to take that back and they're going to begin to preach it to their people. They're going to begin to share it to their, with their people. See, it's taking what we have learned, what we have gained And passing it on, not just keeping it in here, but passing it on and beginning to train up, beginning to teach, beginning to to let the word flow through me instead of just to me. See, I want to take a look at the Great Commission. Because the Bible says here that Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, listen. When we're talking about this, we're not talking about growing a church. Those things happen. I mean, the church grows. But the, the responsibility of building the church is Jesus' responsibility. It's not our job to build the church. It's Jesus' job to build the church. Jesus has not called you or me to build his church. In fact, the gospel mentions church only two times. One, it's about conflict resolution. Imagine that in the church, conflict resolution. I don't know anything about that. The other thing is right here where he mentions about I will, he will build his church. See, our job is not to build his church. Our job and our only job is the last instructions that he gave us, and that is to make disciples. And if we make disciples out of that, guess what we get? The church. The Great Commission is about disciples making disciples. So let's take a look at this passage. Let's take a look at the Great Commission this morning. It says this, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Some believe this is the same mountain that was the Sermon on the Mount in which he first brought his disciples and began to teach them after he had invited them to follow. Some believe this is the the same mountain. When they they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. How many would say, that's kind of like me. Some worshipped him, some doubted, sometimes I doubt. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, here it is, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now again, we're we're looking at four commands in this passage, four commands that we can live out practically in our lives but before we do that, I want to I want to start with something that's very significant, and that's the foundation. It says this all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, that's a reality that ought to compel us to give ourselves to the commands that follow. That the authority of Jesus Christ, the truth is that the Lord is over everyone and everything. Amen? He's over everyone. In everything. Now we have a hard time in our Western culture because we don't have a we don't we don't have a, a, a king or an absolute ruler who rules over us. Uh, so we have a hard time understanding what Jesus is saying here. But at the time, you have to understand the disciples were living into a Roman culture, and if the Roman Caesar was the one who said, "I have all authority," all right, they, he was Caesar. He said he was God in many ways. That's what he wanted was people to worship him as God. He had absolutely all authority. There were no human rights. There were no personal rights. You couldn't stand up. There was not a civil rights lawyer or attorney that if the king decided to take your land or decided to take something from yours that was going to stand up and say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. He have a right to that land. There was nothing like that. If the king wanted to take something of yours, he would. If the king wanted something, he would. If the king wanted to do something, he would do it, and there was nothing that was there to stop him. We don't we have different checks and balances, so we don't quite understand what it means to have a ruler that has all authority. Take the speed limit, for example. It may say 35, but many times we're going 38. We're going 40. We're going 45. And sometimes if it's unmonitored and we know it's unmonitored, we're going a lot more than that. Why? Because the speed limit doesn't really have authority. It's suggested authority. We suggest that you go this. Now, we know that there's supposed to be a law. And if there is a police officer that's there, that he can pull you over. But we take it as suggested authority. But I want you to understand something. When Jesus says he has all authority, it's not suggested authority. It's absolute authority. And now Jesus is saying, yeah, you've been living under Caesar's rule, but I want you to understand something. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. At this point, Jesus had lived a perfect life. He had died a death for you and I, a death that we deserve. But he took it in our place on that cross. He had risen from the dead, and he has victory over sin. And he's about to ascend to heaven and be seated at the right hand of God. And it's in this context that he says, I have authority in everything in the earth and everything in heaven. I'm the one in authority. What had been prophesied in the book of Daniel chapter 7, 13, and 14 had now become a, a reality that he has sovereign dominion over the rulers and the nations everywhere. Friends, that is a good reminder for us because oftentimes we, we're like, oh, I don't think, I can't make it. I can't, how am I going to, who's going to, how am I, you don't have to worry about all that. You got you to remember who. Who commanded that? Who has authority? Whose authority you are under and who has commanded you? Who has said, I I am commanding you to do this. You are following me. You are my disciples. Jesus is Lord over everything. He governs everything. Leading and guiding human history towards Revelation chapter 7 that tells us that in that day, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people will gather around the throne and will give glory to God. Philippians chapter 2, 9 to 11, therefore God has exalted, has highly exalted him, meaning Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, earth and under the earth, glory of God the Father, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it is. Think about what that means, that as the Lord directs our lives, our our lives are directed by him. Our lives are his to direct. That's where that giving up of control, Lord, my life is not my own. It's yours to direct. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He said that if any man would take up his cross and follow me, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's what discipleship means. It's about surrendering and saying, Lord, you have absolute authority. You have absolute control. I want you to direct my life. Determine my life. Remember, he's just not our Lord, but he has authority over heaven and earth. That means every people group, every nation in the world. And there's a lot of different nations, amen? There's a lot of different nations, but he says every nation will bow down. Every people group will bow down to the greatness and the glory. They will proclaim his majesty. They will proclaim his justice, his mercy. They will proclaim his lordship. And it ought to be that authority that we have in Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the Lord, that ought to compel us to follow the Great Commission and to make disciples. You see, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 contains only one imperative verb. It's a command. And the original command is make disciples. Make disciples. This is then surrounded by three participles, which are the going, baptizing, and teaching. And that is where we see three of the four components that make up the Great Commission. So, what does it mean to make disciples? First is this share the word. Share the word. Share the word. Uh, and I can't express to you enough of how important share the word is. Yes, there are times where we live like Christ in our lives model. I have, I have heard, I, I know the, the phrase that, that, that we are, to, we are to, to be that kind of person who, who, who lives our lives so that others can see Jesus in us. And that is our testimony. But friends, you can't have a testimony without sharing something. Nobody is a witness unless they talk about what they've seen and heard. There is a component to share the word. I want you to live like Christ. I want you to be a model. I want you to be an example. I want you to serve and love people. But friends, if we never talk about Jesus, if we never share Jesus, we are falling short of what he has commanded us to do. There are a whole lot of people that are doing a whole lot of good things. It is not just Christian organizations that are going around the world and building wells where there is no clean drinking water. It it is not just Christians who are going around and fighting against human trafficking or trying to fight against homelessness or fight against the, the different needs that are there. There's a lot of social organizations that are doing a lot of social things. What makes the difference, what makes it evangelism is when we begin to connect it to the gospel, when we begin to connect it to Jesus Christ, when we begin to share the word and share salvation. If it is not sharing salvation and connected to Jesus, it is a nice social platform, but it is not evangelism. Even if it is Christian people who are doing it, it is not evangelism. It is not missions unless it is connected to sharing the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done and calling people, inviting people to repentance and inviting people to give their life to Christ. I know that might be controversial for some, but that's the Bible. And in our lives, we are, not the, we are incomplete as a witness if we do not share Jesus Christ. We've got to share the Word. Gospel sharing has to be something that we do. Jesus wasn't telling them to disciple each other for the rest of their lives. He wasn't telling them, I want you to be my disciple, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to get together, and you're just going to begin to study, and you're going to encourage one another, and you're going to just encourage one another in the Word all the rest of your life. No! It's not just to stay in-house. It's to share with those who do not know Christ. I think practically... The question is, who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you sharing the gospel with? If you say, I am a Christian, I am a disciple, then my question back to you is, who are you sharing the gospel with? Well, pastor, that's your job. No. That's not just my job. It is my job as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It is a part of my job as a disciple of Jesus Christ. But as a Christian, as a believer, that is every one of us. Every one of us has been called to do that. In missionaries around the world, they go to difficult and dangerous places. When someone comes to Christ, it's often a great cost or risk. And they can be totally rejected by their families. Oftentimes they can be persecuted by their families or by the government. Sometimes they can be put in prison or even lose their lives because they have decided to trust in Jesus. We, we have great freedom here. But here's what, some of the, here's what some of those missionaries will do. When they lead someone in that context to come to Christ, they encourage them. Listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a list of all the people that you know, that you know in your sphere of influence, that, 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 that don't know Christ. That don't know Jesus. And there are many people in their spheres of influence. And so when they say, then I want you to go down. And I want you to pray. And I want you to circle the names of those that, that would you feel would be least likely to hurt you. Least likely to kill you if you share the gospel with them. And I want you to begin to share what Jesus Christ has done in you. I want you to begin to share it with them. And in light of that picture, I want to encourage you as a follower of Jesus Christ to make a list. Who are the people in your sphere of influence that do not know Jesus Christ? Who are the people in your sphere of influence that do, not have a, 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 that, that do not know Christ, that do not have a gospel presentation or representation in their lives? And there's probably nobody on that list or very little people on that list that are going to hurt you. If you tell them about Jesus, they're going to kill you or are going to, you know, persecute you. But I want you to begin to pray about that. See, in your bulletin, and at the end, we're going to have the ushers be ready to pass them out. But in your bulletin, there's a card. There's a card. And that's what you can use to begin to put some names down. But before you do that, you begin to make a list. And then I want you to begin to pray into that list and say, Jesus, who who are the people? Who are the people that I, that you're fricking my heart and you're saying, listen, I I want you to share the gospel with them. Some of you are like scared right now. You're like, oh my goodness, I am ready to leave. Listen, I I get that. But I'm telling you, you can. You can. It's not not about preaching a sermon. It's about sharing your testimony. If If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, what has Jesus done in your life? If you don't have a testimony, have you really received Christ? Have you really experienced his salvation and his grace? Or how long has it been since you've had that encounter and it's gone cold? Friends, we, I want you to begin to say, Lord, you've put these people in my life for a reason. See, sharing the word is where disciple-making starts, but it's not where it stops. You see, the next part, the next thing that I want us to look at is you, you share the word, but then number two, you show the word. You show the word. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to make disciples, and then we are to baptize them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is, why is baptism so, so connected and so important to the Great Commission? Because in the essence of disciple-making, there is something important about baptism. You see, according to the scriptures in Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 6, Matthew chapter 3, baptism is described as a public identification in our lives that we are identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. And in baptism, we identify with what happens in the gospel. So in Romans 6, when we, when we see this, it gives us the picture of water. And it says that we, when we are baptized, we are literally dead to our sin. We have died with Christ. We have died with Christ. And we have been raised to life. In Him. So as we go down under the water, we are being baptized in Christ, we are in Christ, and we come up a new creation. The old things have passed away, the thing, the behold, all things become new. It's not something spiritual, it's not a spiritual work that takes place during baptism, but it's symbolic of the spiritual work that has taken place during salvation. And what we see here is this picture of being fully in Christ, every part of us. And it goes even deeper because not only we identify with the life of Christ, but also in baptism we are identified as being a part of the body of Christ. Oh, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, deceived one, come talk with me. Let me tell you about how right from the very beginning God said it was not good that man should be alone and that was before sin. Why? Because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is one. He is in relationship. How dare we think that we can be out of relationship and still be a follower of Christ. Oh, deceive one, let me know. And going to church does not make you a Christian. But let me tell you something. When you are not a part of the body of Christ, I question whether you are. Oh, but I get hurt. But people are mean. Yeah, people are mean all over the place. Quit being so offended. Deal with it. Deal with the pain. There's a way to do that. It's not to disconnect yourself from the body of Christ. Because chances are you've hurt and offended somebody else too. It's not just them. Dear Lord, I'm sorry. Nothing frustrates me more. We all got our problems. We all offend and hurt each other. Deal with it the way that Christ says to deal with it. All right, that's off topic. Let's get back. Because when I'm a believer, I'm not only baptized into Jesus Christ, but I'm a part of the community. I'm a part of the body. That's what communion is all about. When we come together for communion, it's the followers of Jesus coming together. I'm a part of his body. Well, what's so important about being a part of the body? See, it says in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, for by one spirit we all were baptized into, immersed in, that is, placed in one body. One body. So here's what happens. I, become, I, I hear the word, I give my life to Christ, but then i got to know how to grow. So what do I do? I become a part of the body so that I can begin to learn and see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I identify now with a community of faith, and God has designed churches to be a place where, as disciples, we can grow and mature because we can see what it means to actually follow Christ. And it's through relationship with the body and other believers that I begin to see, model the transformations that come with discipleship. A transformed mind, transformed affections, transformed will, transformed relationships. In Acts chapter 2, following Peter's invitation to those who had heard the word and repented and baptized, it was said 3,000 were saved. What happened? They formed discipleship groups. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And then it goes on to say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They came together in the temple for corporate worship. And then later on we see that they got together house to house and began to fellowship and study the word of God. They began to meet the needs of one another. They began to see what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Imagine you were to lead someone to Christ tomorrow, by God's grace, somebody on your list that you've been praying for, you begin to share the gospel with them and they begin to believe in Christ, well then how does that believer grow in Christ? Well, they got to learn how to study the Bible, right? How are they going to learn? Well, you can give them books and you can tell them about it and tell them you need to study, you can give them a now what, you can give them something like that, you can do that, or you can say, you know what, let me show you, here's how I read the Bible. Here's, here's how I begin to make sense, because sometimes it's hard to make sense. There's, a, there's some things, some tools you can use. Here's some questions you can ask as you're reading. Here's some things that you can do. And you begin to, you begin to show people. You begin to say, hey, let's meet for breakfast. Or, hey, why don't you come over and, and we'll do some devotions together and I'll, I'll show you. How much more effective is that? Or, you know, hey, when you come to Christ, you need to pray. Well, I don't know what it looks like to pray. Well, you know what? Why don't you come over? We're going to pray together. I'll show you how to pray. I'll show you how to pray. Here's the problem. And this is where some of us shake. Well, well, I don't know how to study the Bible myself. Well, I don't know how to pray. Well, what if they have questions I can't answer? Guess what? Do you know how you continue your discipleship? When you begin to disciple somebody else. The reason that the church is so stagnant is because we've stopped making disciples, and we've started just sitting, and I'm going to do this, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pour in, and I'm going to do that, and we don't pour out, and you never grow that way. God has designed this really cool thing that if you want to continue to grow in maturity and in discipleship, you begin to disciple somebody else. It pulls you in. That's what it's all about. We need to realize that God has designed us disciple-making not just for others to grow in Christ, but he's actually designed disciple-making for us to grow in Christ. And I'm convinced that every follower of Jesus will plateau and their relationship will hit a ceiling as long as we keep living for ourselves. But if we start living to see other disciples grow in the image of Christ, we will grow in God's word in a way we've never grown. We will grow in prayer like we've never grown. We will grow in some of these areas like we've never grown before. All right, I gotta, I gotta quickly because I want to get to the end here. Making disciples, what does it mean? We gotta teach the word. We've gotta teach the word. And again, teaching the word is not, I'm not talking about you're going to stand up in front. Not everybody has the gift of teaching. I'm not asking you to stand in front. I'm not asking you to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not asking you to stand up in front. But it actually, it's actually as we go. And it's in the context of relationships. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 talks about this back in the Old Testament, the kind of conversations we ought to have. And it says this, all these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know what this is essentially saying? What you learn, you begin to pass on. And you do that in the course of the normal rhythms of the day. So, as you're, this says as you walk along the road. How about when you're driving in the car? It talks about mealtime. When you sit in your house, how about inviting people over to sit in your house? When you lie down, when you rise up, how about around mealtimes? How about around breakfast? We're just talking. Discipleship takes place in the context of everyday life. This is not something outside of it, but it is making time to be with people, to have God conversations, to have discipling conversations, and to talk about what God's word says and how it applies to the various situations and circumstances. I'm convinced when it comes to children that parents, you are the number one discipler of your children. They come here. If you happen to come frequently on Sunday mornings, then they get about an hour and a half here a week. And that is every week if you come every week, which we know that isn't the case. Sorry, just being honest. Some come twice a week. Some of you come on Wednesday nights. So good, they get three hours. An hour and a half Sunday morning, an hour and a half. Throughout the rest of the other hours, the rest of the day, the rest of the time, the rest of the week, guess what? They're in your house. And it's not about what you say, it's about how you live. It's not about what you say, it's about what you do. You are the main discipler. Pastor, my kids just aren't growing. They're coming to church and they're just not growing. What are you doing at home? That's what I'm going to ask you. You can be mad at me. Some of you are offended and get mad at me. That's fine. But I'm telling you the truth. Here, here's the thing: this is in the r- routine of we gotta disciple, make discipleship a part of our everyday lives, our routines, our friendships. We gotta invite people, we gotta make time for this. Why? Because that's what being a Christian is. That's what He commanded us to do. That's what Christ has commanded us to do. Everything that I've learned has been intended for me to pass on to somebody else. Thirdly, serve the world. Serve the world, again, to all nations. Now, the word nations, as I said before, it's not about, it's not about a, a particular geopolitical entity. All right, there's about 200 of those in the United Nations. All right, it, it's not about that. The, the, the word here, the Greek word is ethne. It's people groups. It's people groups, and it's, it's estimated there's probably uh, in geopolitical, that kind of a thing, probably about 200 or so geopolitical nations, but when it comes to people groups, there's about 11,000 distinct people groups in the world today. If you go into New York City, you'll see all kinds of different people groups in one nation, the nation of the United States of America, but there are people groups all throughout. And so to be a follower of Jesus Christ is about being passionate to see disciples made among all the people groups of the world. This is how we serve the world. Praying constantly for the spread of the gospel to every people group in the world. That's why we believe in mission so much, both at home and around the world. So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line. As a follower of Christ, as a disciple, you've been commanded to make disciples. During the Great Reformation... The Great Reformation took place 1500, 1600s. We, we hear names like Martin Luther. We, we hear names like John Calvin associated with that. The biggest part of the, the first reformation that took place was about the Word of God. It was taking the Bible and the Word of God that happened to be kept and chained to the church and to the clergy and only the higher-ups and getting it in the hands of people, getting it in the hands of every everyday people. Here's what we need a second Great Reformation. The second Great Reformation is to get ministry into the hands of the people ministry in the hands of everyone we need a second great reformation that every disciple is intended to share the word of God with people that don't know him yet that's what the commission is all about our aim is simply to tell God you know what here's my life I want to be a part of the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth however you want to use me whatever you wherever you want me to go whatever you want me to do I want to be making disciples in every nation That's what we ought to be. And so I want to encourage you today. Who is it? Who is it that the Lord is calling you to disciple today? And Jesus said this, I give you this promise. If you do this, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. In other words, I will be with you. My presence will be at work with you. When you lead someone else, when you share the gospel with someone else and they begin to follow me, my presence is with you. My presence is with you at work. My presence is with you as you begin to to show them what it means to be a follower of Christ. When you begin to teach my presence and my power when you serve, my presence is with you. God's plan is for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth and the Bible says the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Disciple making, Christ commanded, spirit empowered, it's a spirit empowered duty of every disciple of Jesus to evangelize unbelievers, to baptize believers, to teach the word of Christ, to train them to obey Christ as members of his church and make disciples on mission to all nations. Share the word, show the word, teach the word. Serve the world. That's what God has called us to do. So here's the challenge. I'm going to ask our ushers to be prepared as well in case somebody didn't get one and you want one. In your bulletin, open it up. There's a a card in there. There's a card in there. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we're doing this. There's a card in there. I want everybody to take out that card. If you didn't get one, if, you, if, if maybe there's a bulletin, we only put one in there, but you and your spouse want something different, you want another one, I, I want you to lift up your hand. We got uh, Our ushers are prepared to hand out more of these, but I want, I want you to have this card. I want you to have this card, and I want you to begin to pray about who you're going to put on that card. Who are the names? Who is the Lord calling you? Who is the Lord calling you to disciple? Who is the Lord calling you to share the word of God with? Is there somebody in your sphere of influence? So if you need one of those cards, go ahead and raise up your hand. There's hands raised up here. There's hands on this side. Again, there's hands up. So go ahead and raise them up until they come to you. Keep them up until they, until they come. They're passing them out uh, right here. Again, we got some over here. Good. We're coming down the aisle here. Here's, here's our goal. All right, this is our goal. This is our strategic plan goal for 2020. We want every disciple of Jesus to disciple one other person in 2020, all right? Can you pray and ask God and believe for God to allow you to be used to disciple one, just one, just one other person over the course of this next year? So maybe as you're praying, maybe, maybe it's difficult. You're sharing the word, but somebody's not coming the first part. It's okay. It may not come until November. But somewhere along the line in this year, you are believing that God will use you to disciple one other person this year. And let me tell you, it begins with prayer. You've got to begin to pray because this is a spiritual thing and you need the Lord to go before and to begin to open up the opportunities in the door and to season your speech and to give you the opportunity to share your testimony, to share your word. You need the Lord to begin to work. It's a spiritual thing. So we have these cards because I want you to make these names and these people a matter of a priority because guess what happens? It would be amazing. This would be awesome is that if everybody did this, we got about 300, a little over 300 that are in the sanctuary. If everybody did this, we would double the number of disciples by next year. Again, I'm not, it's not about the numbers. It's not about something look what we did. This is about following the Great Commission. And as a Christian, if you say I'm a Christian, you're a disciple, and Jesus has commanded us to make disciples. So who, who is going to be obedient to the Great Commission, and who will the Lord lead you to disciple this year? So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to sing, and what I want you to do is I want you to begin to write down names, and I want you to begin to say, Lord, I commit these people into your hands. These are your cards to take. You're not going to just leave them here. I don't want you to leave them in your pew. And if you respond and decide you want to begin to pray over these names here at the altar, which I'd invite you to do. If you want to come down and just spend a little bit of time, and Lord, I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for this person. Give me an opportunity to share the gospel with this person. This person really needs you. They need to know you. They need the gospel. Give me the opportunity to disciple them. I want to invite you today before you leave to make that commitment of prayer and to say, Lord, I pray that you'll open up the door and allow me to be able to disciple somebody on my list. Somebody you're laying on my heart. Somebody in my sphere of influence that you're calling me to step away from my own concerns, from my own problems, from my own self, and to begin to invest in somebody else as you have commanded me. And I want to invite you to do that. So we're going to begin To sing and pray in just a moment. I want you to write down those names. And then for some of you, you may just want to respond. I want to encourage you to respond. And to make a place of prayer. And to to say, Lord, we pray for these folks. We pray, Lord. We pray into this vision. We pray into what you are doing. We pray into what you are doing. Come on, let's stand. Jesus, right now, Lord, we ask you to give us the names Who are the people, Lord, in our sphere of influence? Father, who are you leading us right now? Who are you leading us, Father, that we can begin to to disciple? Who are you calling us, Lord, to share the word with, to show the word, to teach the word? Who are you wanting us to serve in the world? Father, we just pray that you will speak to us because this is about your heart. You want us to be disciples who make disciples. Father, I pray for the power of your Holy Spirit and for you to show us, Lord, who we're to write down, who we're to begin to pray into, and that, God, you would open up doors. You would open up doors of opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and write those names down. Go ahead and begin to write that down. And let's begin to just close by committing that to prayer, beginning to pray over those names. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.